Hello Internet, my name's Jonathan Cook. And I'm Matt Noble. The Oscars. Big yeah. time of the year for the podcast. Yeah, they're back. We're excited. We love the Oscars. So excited that we've decided to call in another heavy hitter yep. for the show. Oh, for sure. Making his third appearance on the podcast. One of our most controversial guests. And Whoa. that's saying something because one of our guests was involved in that public graffiti scandal. Yeah. <laughs> it's Tom O'Neill from Gold Derby. Tom, how you doing? Hey guys, great. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Now, last time on our Oscars podcast, Tom, you incited a little bit of rage from our audience with your anti-Ryan Gosling stance. Oh. Big fans <laughs> of Ryan Gosling, the Screen Verdict oh, audience. Oh, no. <laughs> and you still invited me back. See what sweet guys you are. Oh, that's good. So, uh, yeah, very excited about uh, this year's Oscars, Tom. Yeah, I'm excited about Seth MacFarlane hosting because I think everybody is underestimating this guy. Yeah, he looks like Donny Osmond, but he's got the soul of Satan. I mean, anybody who has ever watched Family Guy knows how just insane that show is. And he is Stewie. He is the, the devilish little baby on that show that makes makes that show so compelling. And now we're getting... Just think about this. We're handing over the holy of holies in Hollywood to Stewie. That's great. <laughs> What do you think, Jonathan? I know you're not the biggest Family Guy fan. Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of Seth MacFarlane's shows, but I've seen him at other award shows, and I think I've seen him host things like the Donald Trump roast. And live, I've actually find him find him really funny on stage. So I'm actually looking forward to it. I think this is going to be one of the most interesting Oscar hosts we've had, for sure. Yeah. I actually think with Seth MacFarlane, uh, the thing I'm pretty uh, excited about is like, I think I find Family Guy a little hit and miss, but I think often when they get their hits is when they are sending up other movies or TV shows. So I think like the award award show where you've got to make jokes about other movies could be ideal mm. for uh, Seth. So I think that's good. And I thought like I know this was a bit controversial in Hollywood that he came to the nomination announcement and made jokes, but I actually thought they were pretty funny. I, I, it got me actually pretty excited to see him as host. Yeah, but Hitler jokes at 5.30 in the morning are a bit much. You know? Oh, I guess it was, <laughs> in Australia it's late at night. So I was all, oh, okay, I, then I was all primed for the Hitler jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I was too. I thought they were great. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was pretty funny. There we go. Well, let's, let's get right stuck into the races. Just throw ourselves in. And we're going to talk about the four acting races and picture and director today. Uh, some films have already done podcasts on, which you can go back and uh, listen to. Some films that we are yet, haven't done podcasts on, so we'll give you our opinions on those films here. So let's start with maybe the biggest head-scratcher of Oscar night, Supporting Actor. And the nominees for that are, in uh, no particular... In the order that I wrote them down on this sheet of paper, <laughs> to, to, Tommy Lee Jones from Lincoln, Robert De Niro from Silver Linings Playbook, Christoph Waltz for Django Unchained, Alan Arkin for Argo, and Philip Seymour Hoffman for The Master. What are we thinking here, Jonathan? What, which of these do you want to talk about first? Well, I believe all of these are previous Oscar winners. Yes. It's a pretty tough lineup to be matched against. Mm. Off the bat, I want to rule out Robert De Niro and Alan Arkin because I didn't like their performances anywhere near as much as the other three. Apparently they're in the race, which I think is crazy. I think the other three are on a completely different level to them. So I'm just going to talk about those three. You've got Tommy Lee Jones, Christoph Waltz, Philip Seymour Hoffman. 
Christoph Waltz won this, I think, in 2009 for the last Tarantino film he was in. Yes. Is that going to affect his chances? Are people going to be like, oh, we don't want to award basically the same thing twice, Christoph Waltz doing Tarantino? Is that going to work against him? Well, Tom, you have the, uh, what is it, the uh, the Woody Allen girl. Oh, uh, Diane Weiss. The Di- yeah, the Diane Weiss theory. Fill us in on that. She won two in the supporting race a few years apart, as did Michael Caine, Jason Robards, Marvin, Melvin Douglas. They don't think anything of giving you a couple in those supporting slots. Remember, as Sally Field reminds us, when they like you, they really, really like you. They give you two. You know, Tom Hanks won them two years in a row for lead actor. So I don't think that's a factor, Jonathan. So, all right, what, give us the rest of your uh, theorizing here. Yeah. Okay. Well, that could be good because I'm a fan of Waltz. Philip Seymour Hoffman, I was a huge fan of in The Master. Yeah, you love that. But no one else seemed to like The Master, which might work against Hoffman. Yes. Tommy Lee Jones, I think, played a really good role in Lincoln. People seem to really get behind that. Because Lincoln seems to maybe be struggling in other areas, are people going to want to push Tommy Lee Jones here as a way of sort of rewarding Lincoln in a way? Mm. Maybe. There are two things with Tommy Lee Jones. One is he didn't seem to enjoy the Golden Globes. <laughs> he was a Poor guy who was bitching about him just because he was a little scowling from the audience. Yeah. Did not enjoy the shenanigans of Will Ferrell and Kristen Wiig. He was not, did not have any patience, much patience for them. Secondly, with Tommy Lee Jones, there's that scene in the movie where he gets up to give his big speech. They, they, he gets asked the question. And he, like, I don't know, gives an answer, and they go, no, answer the question. And then there's, like, five minutes of film before he answers the question. It just cuts to everyone's face, like, 50 times. <laughs> like, that was the worst part of the movie. <laughs> like, what do you... It's like, just answer it. Like, they don't have the dramatic music there in the Congress Hall. Like, that, how boring would that be for people, him just standing there not answering the question for ages? <laughs> what did you think of that, to- uh, of that Jono? I think that might not have been the best part of the film. I don't think it'll affect Tommy Lee Jones' chances too much. Yeah, I guess. I think based off this, I'm going to go with Christoph Waltz. I think he was my favourite, and I think based on the fact that Django is less likely to be rewarded elsewhere, and because Tom's brought me around to the fact that they maybe people like enough Waltz enough to give him two awards, I'm going to go with him. Okay, Tom. Who Wise we... choice. Wise choice. Oh, there we go. <laughs> See, everybody, everybody began this derby season saying Tommy Lee had it in the bag because he kind of grandstands in the role. He's placed a little kind of maverick uh, character in Lincoln, and that's fine. And he won SAG. That's yet generally a very good barometer of weather coming ahead. But then everybody took off on this Robert De Niro thing, which I believe was simply Weinstein Company just spreading this around town going, of course, we all know this is the Veteran Achievement Award category where they always (laughs) give it to the senior statesman. And he's you know, beloved by the community, and he hasn't been nominated in 19 or 20 years, so of course it's De Niro. And so all of a sudden you see all of these prominent pundits like Pete Hammond and Steve Pond and Dave Carger all rushing over to vote for for uh, De Niro. And as I was yelling at Pete the other day, I'm just saying, why? The guy has won nothing this year. <laughs> Zero. When can you ever think of an Oscar race where somebody wins a top award that hasn't won any precursor prize? It's so rare, you at least get a hint if they win Northeastern Ohio film critics or something, you know. Some, or <laughs> yeah. just a remote guild or whatever, but he's won zero. So I don't buy this whole De Niro BS uh, stuff. 
I think it's Christoph Waltz, and it's obvious because, <laughs> look, he hasn't lost a single major award. Every time he gets nominated for a top award, the guy wins. The problem is he's not always nominated. He was nominated at the Globe. He won. He was not nominated at SAG, so Tommy Lee won. He was nominated at BAFTA. He won. And if you just look at those two awards and you look back in history, 10 of the last 12 winners of that category at the Golden Globe have won the Oscar. Five of the last six in that supporting category at BAFTA won the Oscar. You know what? Those are pretty good odds. I think I'll... I'll bet on that uh, outcome rather than this whole De Niro bullshit. <laughs> it's good you said that, Tom, because I was just about to bet all the money I had saved up for a restaurant on De Niro winning the Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. my God, I talked you out of it. Yeah, oh, okay, that's good. <laughs> I had to get a top good score in a dance competition as well. So we got um, – but, okay. What, here's, here's something I'm thinking, Tom – I think everyone's saying it's Waltz, De Niro, or Jones. Are people underestimating Alan Arkin? It's a Best Picture nominee, and he represents Hollywood. And again, it's a bit like Waltz, like winning it, like he won a couple of years ago for a, I guess, sort of, not a similar character, but sort of, you know, a bit more of a fun sort of, yeah, similar character. Yeah. Come on, he was grandpa buying porn magazines. We love that, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this guy is just uh, a crusty curmudgeon. It's yeah, he has no buzz. Isn't that remarkable? Yeah. You would think that they there would be something behind Arkin, and especially since everyone's looking for Argo to win another award, and if, if a Best Picture does, you know, go the distance for the top prize, generally they win an acting award. Mm. But I I don't know why it is that nobody thinks he can do it, but he's, he doesn't even seem to be a factor in the conversation in Hollywood. I think there were some big snubs in this category. Um, and from films where people got nominated, I think they didn't pick the best supporting actor. <laughs> I think, why didn't they... Uh, I, I would have picked Brian Cranston over Alan Arkin, and I would, yeah. I would have easily... Picked James Spader over Tommy Lee Jones for Lincoln. <laughs> I thought James Spader was great in Lincoln. <laughs> I know, I know, I agree with you. And John Goodman was pretty funny in, a lot, in all of these movies. Isn't he in all of them or something? Yeah, he's in a lot. Yeah, he's in every single Best Picture nominee. Light Argo, he's in a lot of them. But yeah, I, like, I don't know. I just remember when I was watching Lincoln, I was like, why aren't we seeing more James Spader? He's so entertaining. Everyone else yeah. is a bit, everyone's a bit of a downer. He, he breath of fresh air in the film. Is that yeah, an and, and, thing? And what do they have against Leo DiCaprio for crying out loud? These yeah. Oscar voters. Poor Leo. You know, if he had gotten nominated for supporting actor, I think he might have won. Mm. Is that an on-running theme in these films this year, Matt? We thought Zero Dark Thirty maybe could have been better as a comedy. Lincoln maybe also should have focused on the comedy with James Spader. Yeah, I feel like the 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 actors from comedy shows they should have uh, utilized more in these films. Yeah, yeah, they really should have turned Argo into Malcolm in the Middle. That would have been a great idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so with yes. Brian, with Brian. <laughs> Brian Cranston. Yeah, no, very good. I think I'm going to go with Tommy Lee Jones, just because I guess if in doubt, go with the boring choice. <laughs> go with the, go with the go with the Oscars to just stick to the script. Yeah, I know they don't always, but um, yeah, I'll go with Tommy Lee Jones for supporting actor. Okay, let's now go to supporting actress, where the nominees are Anne Hathaway for Les Misérables, Sally Field for Lincoln, 
Jackie Weaver for um, for Silver Linings Playbook, Amy Adams for The Master, and Helen Hunt for The Sessions. Jonathan, initial thoughts on this Motley crew? <laughs> Ragtag team of nominees. Yes. Well, I was a big fan of The Master, but I didn't think Amy Adams was as strong as Phoenix and Hoffman, mm-hmm. so that might not help her there. Jackie Weaver, we thought, was fine in Silver Linings, but again, didn't really stand out. Mm-hmm. Sally Field in Lincoln is perhaps a little bit more prominent. She's very grating in the film, and I'm not sure how much to attribute that to the performance or just the character that they wanted. But I think with these awards, you want to like the character. Like, even if it's a bad guy, it's a bad guy that you like, right? Mm. If it's someone that irritates you... People aren't likely to vote for that. Am yeah. I alone in being irritated by Sally Field? I don't think so. You didn't think she was irritating enough, Tom? You thought she should have been more... <laughs> right. Irri- yeah. Mary Lincoln was completely bonkers. That poor <laughs> bitch, she, had, you know, she was just not only out to lunch, she was on her own rocket ship to Saturn. And you know, she was holding se- seances in the, in the uh, White House and all this kooky stuff. And even her own sisters hated her. You won't find anybody in uh, history who liked Mary Lincoln. And and Lincoln himself just tolerated her and frequently said to uh, all of his colleagues and stuff to just please, for my sake, put up with it. If you think she's bad to you, imagine what I have to live with. That's the kind of woman we're dealing with here, and we get no hints at all of her raving insanity. And by the way, remember how she ends up. Her own son puts her in a loony bin. So that's what uh, her one surviving son. So That Joseph uh, Gordon-Levitt. That. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right, in this movie. But anyway, so, but I think this, among the many historic inaccuracies in this movie is they should have given us a crazy Lincoln. Then Sally Field could have had fun with that. But no, all we get is this indignant, outraged uh, Mary Lincoln. It's like, ah, oh, boring. <laughs> so I did not care at all about Lincoln's family situation in the movie. I just wanted to see the Bill passage. Um, So every time Sally Field was on screen, I was very much, when are we getting back to James Spader? When, when, (laughs) come on, he's, I'm enjoying him. She's dragging the film down. So yeah, I agree. She's pretty irritating, but she is in with the shot. She's never lost an Oscar before. Two from two. Uh, So, and, and I guess she's in, she's in a film with best picture nominations and stuff like that. And she does a, a bit of showy stuff as well. Um, Helen Hunt, I haven't seen the sessions, and I don't think that's really, uh, lighting up, lighting up much. Have you seen the sessions, Tom? Yes, it's pretty boring. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's just everything you'd think, you know, handicapped guys, never been laid, so they give them a pity, you know, obsession, and it's, uh, How far does, okay, this is about a sex therapist, Tom, like, with him, yeah. right? How far do they go? Like, I don't really know how these sex therapists work. Like, yeah, I, I, I actually have nothing together. about them. Yeah, it's all the way, baby. Oh, uh, oh yeah. He, she's uh, and then she goes home to her husband and tells her about her day at the office. What saying to this one? I banged that one. You know. So they go. They go all the way to fourth base. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Whoa, money ball. Uh, I feel and, like I feel like baseball. Your government easier. tax dollars, or not? You guys are Aussies, but our my government tax dollars pay for it because I think he was covered by Medicare. Obamacare. <laughs> Obamacare. Obama, he's done it. So, <laughs> another reason to love America. Uncle uh, 
Barack Obama gets you laid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I feel like baseball would be easy if you could just pay to Boston, go around the bases. That leads us to Anne Hathaway, which is why she's going to win because Oscar loves prostitutes. Look at you know all the the hookers who have won historically from Donna Reed to Mira Servino. You can go back to. Um, I what, feel like you should. I feel like you should have used the character names there, Tom, because you did just literally call all of those actresses prostitutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, the roles they play. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of no character, you can pay to get to fourth base with. We do. Uh, you have Bruce Renter and Hathaway, who is the front runner in this category. Now, I had an issue with this character in in the film. Well, not not this character, but the something in this film. She loses her job. She goes down to the docks, right? And there's these suspect characters. Here's what I don't get. Firstly, she rocks up and there's someone who offers her some money for her hair. So they take all her hair for, what, 10, 10 francs or something like that? Yeah. Then there's someone who comes and, like, offers her money for her teeth. And then there's the brothel people who are like, okay, you'll be a great prostitute. Come and join our prostitution business. <laughs> right? Now, these pimps, I guess... Uh, really should be trying to recruit people before they go to the teeth removalist, <laughs> uh, hair removalist. Like, I feel like Anne Hathaway's stock as a prostitute goes down a lot in the ten minutes that she sells it. You'd think she could be making a lot more money as a prostitute. Why don't they set up their prostitution stand a bit before the hair and the teeth stand? <laughs> I think you need to do an intervention down there on the docks, man, yeah. to save these people. Do you feel like you'd be a good pimp, Matt? I feel like I'd run a better <laughs> uh, pimp operation on the on the like end than the people in Les Miserables. And also, why are people buying her teeth? Why do people need teeth? <laughs> what, what is this? Was, well, what? because in the dentures in the old days, you had to make them with real teeth. Uh, Actually, you know, much is made of George Washington's um, dentures. He did not have wooden teeth. He he took the teeth from his slaves. Uh, there are records he actually gave them some money, but yeah, he went down to the slave quarters, grabbed the teeth out of the slave's mouth, had, had dentures made, and put them in his own mouth. I hope uh. he gave them at least 20 francs, because apparently that's the going rate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, Lincoln would have had something to say about that. He would have had uh, some, right, some harsh words for George Washington. Um, <laughs> now, I think Amy Adams is one of the greatest actors working today. I just think she's constantly doing great performances. But... I think I'm going to predict Dan Hathaway. I think she's the safe buddy. Is anyone going to disagree with me? No. It's, she's a shoo Yeah. I'm not going to disagree with you, Matt. Regardless of my thoughts of my Les Mis, I think with Anne Hathaway, you have just her face, nothing but her face on screen for about five minutes, giving a really big performance of what I thought was easily the best song in the film. Yeah. It's the, it's the perfect opportunity for her to win this award. This is the second time this year. I thought I thought The Dark Knight Rises, neither of us really liked, but I think we both thought Anne Hathaway was the best thing about that movie that, yeah. by considerable margin. <laughs> I feel like you're not speaking quite okay. completely correctly on my behalf. Okay. But, oh, do you disagree? I think I said, yeah, Anne Hathaway was quite good, better than I expected as Catwoman. And you're like, okay. easily by far the best thing about the film. <laughs> okay. Well, that's what I thought. And I think, again, with Les Mis, 
I thought she was the standout. She stole the show, was the best performance in the movie, loved her song. Yeah, I think she's going to win. Tom? Yes, I think that says it all, but you're both insanely wrong about Leave Is. It's a masterpiece. Eddie Redmayne was also great, but I know I am in the minority view with this. Oh. Well, I didn't say anything yeah. about Les Mis well, yet, so... We oh might love Les Mis. I can read between your snickers. I know what you were saying. <laughs> when we get to the best picture race, we'll say what we think about Les Mis. <laughs> but uh, let's let's move across... Uh, and you, you agree with uh, Anne Hathaway, Tom? Absolutely. Yeah, we'll, we'll bet the restaurant on that. So, <laughs> the... Um, what kind of restaurant is it, by the way? Ethiopian restaurant, or is it uh, something else? Ooh. Italian hoagies? Oh. Restaurant is actually a code for brothel, seeing as Matt's a <laughs> pimp now. <laughs> yes. So uh, let's go to the actor race. Let's go to the actor race, where we've got a few interesting characters. Daniel Day-Lewis for Lincoln. Hugh Jackman for Les Miserables. Denzel Washington for Flight. Bradley Cooper for Silver Lining Playbook. And Yaquin Phoenix for The Master. So, Jonathan, how are we going to tap? Well, we've talked about Yaquin Phoenix before. We both really liked him. We thought he was, uh, you particularly really liked him. Yeah. But he's probably not going to win. If I were voting, that's what I would vote for. Phoenix is my favourite here. But, again, people don't really seem to like The Master. Bradley Cooper, I think, was fine in Silver Linings Playbook. I think he was really... I'd be tempted to vote for him. Whoa. Yeah. I think Denzel gives a very Denzel performance in Flight. I think the opening of that is really engaging. It's, it's really, really well done. And then after that, it's just kind of a boring story about an alcoholic that I feel like I've seen a thousand times before. And it's well done, but it's just a boring story. And I think he gives... A fine performance in it, but nothing that's going to make him stand out over the rest of these nominees. Mm. Okay, Flight. Okay, we haven't talked about this. When I saw the first about 30, 40 minutes of this film, I thought this could be one of my favourite films of the year. I thought the way they did the crash and everything mm. was just fantastic. The build, the lead up to it, it was tense, it had me, I was interested. And then I was hoping it would turn into a film that was about... This is where even you as the audience are wondering whether he's responsible, whether he should go to jail, or whether he's a hero. Is he a villain? Is he a hero? But it just turns into the struggle of an alcoholic. I was hoping for a bit more ambiguity in the rest of the film rather than just watching a guy struggle with alcoholism, which I agree with you have seen before. Tom, what do you think about what did you think about Washington and Flight? Yeah, I was pretty disappointed in all that. But I, I have I do have to admit that a little little bit of me was hoping I could have been on that plane. That was a, the coolest plane ride of all time. It's like <laughs> the ultimate theme park ride. Yeah. Whee! You know, well, you know, Disneyland should install flight with Denzel up there slugging some Jack Daniels. And, uh, you know, as long as you know you're going to come up the other end yeah. alive, what the heck, you know? Which I think eight people on the flight didn't. So, <laughs> Tom, Tom, you're such a thrill seeker. Like, I was not well, thinking know, after I'll, that. You, you oh. sit by Daredevil side. Yeah. Remember, the people on the flight didn't get the vodka. <laughs> they, he cancelled the drink service for everyone else. <laughs> so yeah, no, that was uh, pretty, uh, pretty interesting. I thought the film was very anti-alcohol. Showed the real like negative effects of alcohol. But 
really did not delve into the negative effects of the cocaine. It seemed like that was just, uh, <laughs> yeah. just, just have the cocaine and you're good to go. <laughs> like, we even got his lawyer going, oh, can we get that cocaine for him at the end of the movie? Like, it's the perfect hangover yeah. cure, man. Yes. <laughs> it's just, and they had the theme song, once you've had it, the I'm feeling all right song. <laughs> yeah, it was just very, so alcohol, horrible, destroys your life, cocaine, can, can do a little bit to repair the damage, is the message I got. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so we've got Hugh Jackman, an Australian. Now, I was on, I was actually on the radio this week on ABC National, and they asked me a bit about Hugh Jackman's chances at the Oscars, and, uh, the guy was finding it hard to process that Hugh Jackman was not going to be winning the <laughs> Oscar. He seemed a bit like this was unfair, like he should easily win because he's Australian. He's an Australian. I'm an Australian. Yeah. He's going to win. He's great in lame years. logic. Yeah. And then he was a bit disappointed when I told him it was Daniel Day-Lewis's year, which, to be fair, it does seem like it's Daniel Day-Lewis's year every second year at the Oscars. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so uh, Tom, what do you what do you think? Jackman does he have a hope in the world? No, he doesn't have a prayer, which is a shame because I think that uh, for the most part he's really really good in this movie. The two things I hated about this film were Ooh. when Hugh Jackman talks the first part of songs, you know, just try to give them dramatic emphasis. And then when he starts singing them, he's great. Hmm. And then, of course, speaking of Australians, we could have just taken that whole Russell Crowe thing and, and just gotten rid, cut that, put that on the cutting room floor. But um, so I, I in, in, in balance, I think Hugh was absolutely terrific. But um, he's not going to, people are really ticked off for him for that talking stuff. Tom, I'm not a Hollywood script editor, but I feel like if you got rid of the Russell Crowe character, that would have affected the narrative of the film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't care. If I don't like the character, he's got to go. That's all there is to it. I think I people... Care. It's not the whole thing makes no sense. I think people have been too harsh on Russell Crowe. I agree. I actually quite enjoyed Russell Crowe in this movie. I didn't think he was the best oh, singer. Oh, he was awful. Give me a break. I didn't think he was the best singer, but I liked his character. I found his character pretty believable. Like, I thought and I thought he acted pretty well in it. And I don't know. I thought the rivalry between Hugh Jackman and Russell Crowe was probably my favorite thing in the movie. I like that rivalry. So it was like a very Roadrunner, Wiley, Coyote... Like, like Hugh Jackman's always just getting away. <laughs> Russell Crowe's always trying these ways to catch him out when he rocks up to the the raid with a disguise on, and like he like they figure out who he is almost instantly. And yeah, I thought I thought it was very Roadrunner Wally Cody, but I quite enjoyed it. So yeah, I don't think Hugh Jackman has a chance. I think Daniel Day Lewis takes this out for sure, and. I've not always been the biggest Daniel Day-Lewis fan in the past because of his greasy hair on the red carpet. But I actually really liked him in Lincoln. I'll be glad to see him win. I'm pretty happy with Daniel Day-Lewis winning. I'd probably give him the slight... Like, Lewis, Jackman, Washington, Cooper, Phoenix. I like all these performances. I'm not hugely passionate about any particular one. I'd probably, I think, maybe vote for Bradley Cooper, actually. (laughs) That was a really good comedic performance. And I was expecting something great from Jennifer Lawrence, but I thought Bradley Cooper was equally as good... Uh, whereas, uh, but Daniel Day-Lewis I thought was was pretty good too. So I'd be pretty pretty happy with Daniel Day-Lewis winning, and that's what I'm predicting. Dom? Yeah, he, he can't possibly lose. He, he portrays the real-life heroic character uh, in a Best Picture front runner, all of that, and he's considered the actor's actor. And if you look back 
over the past 10, 12 years, for example, that tends to be the pattern of the winner based on a real-life person, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I, I hate Daniel Day-Lewis as an actor. I think he's just such a ham bone over the... He keeps playing the... You know, he's played Bill the Butcher in everything he does. You know, give me a break. And he screwed up that whole Nine movie, which was so horrible a few years ago. And uh, you know, giving, making Guido this, this uh, you know, happy-go-lucky, uh, carefree uh, gigolo with a wink in, in his eye and a dance in his step, turning him into Bill the Butcher, scowling all the time. And then he kind of gives us the scowling Lincoln, you know. But it's okay. I'm resigned to the fact that he's going to win this, uh, with this Oscar. I don't know why everybody thinks it's so great. I were voting. I would you, Matt. I would go with Bradley Cooper. But there is no justice in this world. Would you have rathered Russell Crowe being the lead in Nine, maybe uh, heading up that musical? <laughs> yes, yes, I would rather Russell Crowe be on that plane with Denzel with the cocaine and the and the. He would have fun. Yeah, <laughs> he probably would have preferred that role anyway, too. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, day to day, yeah. But Tommy, like, drink. I drink your milkshake. How good's that scene? <laughs> Oh, God. I love the milkshake scene. Yeah, that was certainly worthy an os- worth an Oscar, you bet. Yeah. So let's go to the actress race now. And we've got some pretty, uh, some pretty, uh, some ladies nominated here. <laughs> we've got Jennifer Lawrence from Silver Lining Playbook, Jessica Chastain from Zero Dark Thirty, Emmanuel Reaver for Amour, Evangene Wallace for Beasts of the Southern Wild, and another Aussie, Naomi Watts, for The Impossible. Jonathan, what do we think? Well, I quite liked Lawrence in Silver Linings Playbook. I don't quite see why she's the out-and-out frontrunner to win this. Jessica Chastain, I really liked in Zero Dark Thirty. I think I actually preferred her to Jennifer Lawrence, mm. in fact. Mm-hmm. Manuel Reaver in a more... It's hard for me to judge how good her acting is because she's actually 80, mm-hmm. an 80-year-old playing an 80-year-old. Like, to what extent was she acting in the film? But isn't Chastain a 35-year-old playing a 35-year-old? Yeah, but she's whatever? not really a CIA <laughs> agent. Oh, okay. Whereas the, the character in Amore, she doesn't do anything. She just is old. That's the yeah. character. Oh, okay. Right, fair enough. Evangene Wallace in Beast of the Southern Wild, I loved. I thought this was so good. I thought... Not having seen it and just seeing the trailer, oh, it's just going to be a kid doing cutesy kid things. But no, I think this was a really uh, great, deep, laid performance from someone that's, what, nine years old? Yeah, I think so. Oh, that was amazing. And Naomi Watts I haven't seen. So maybe maybe Tom can fill us in on the impossible. Yeah. yeah all she does, basically, is two hours of her and her family you know, fighting off these tsunami waves and screaming for each other, hello, where are you, where are you? And they just spend two hours yelling through the, uh, the debris of this tsunami. And then they find each other at the end. Oops, spoiler alert. So, I mean, that's <laughs> the movie. So, where is this? Where is this performance? It's just she looks anguished as she turns to the left. Then she looks more anguished as she turns to the right. I mean, this is just... And she's suffering from her wounds. From Come on. So it's, but, uh, it's pretty much two hours of Marco Polo. Marco Polo. Marco Polo. But, you know, the, the performance I hate the most Ooh. is Emmanuel Riva. Whoa. I mean, I I don't know. You know, it's it's not fashionable to say that. The only cool uh, response to that movie is, oh, she's a, it's a genius uh, performance. She's brilliant. Oh, my. And, and if you're caught in Hollywood saying, you know, what I'm saying, which is 
I wish she would die the whole time. In the first five minutes, <laughs> we know this slow, lingering death. I just wanted to leap up in the theater and scream, Die, bitch! Die! Get out of here! Uh, this movie is agony! It just never ends, and it's so pompous, and it's really a bad movie. It's, it's, uh, my favorite is the symbolism for dummies in this movie, like, oh, here comes a black bird, flies into the apartment, and it won't leave. It's a symbol of death. Oh, no! And then, as, as if, oh, as if you don't get it uh, the first time, here comes the bird again! Oh, no! And it's like, come on! And then they, I've seen, for example, that she's got her stroke and she's sitting there in bed and he's trying to shovel some gruel into her mouth and of course she won't take it. It dribbles down her face. He does it again, dribbles some more. He does it again. And you want to stand up going, we get the dribble scene. Can we move this movie along, please? And of course, no, there's 72 more dribbles before you get around. So I just hate this movie. I think there's no performance here. I think it is amateur filmmaking and I know I could be shot. For saying this in Hollywood, so that's why I'm putting it on an Australian-based podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, where are you right now, Tom? I'm in Hollywood right now. Okay, now. so you are literally <laughs> saying it, you know. <laughs> I could be assassinated any second. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, people in Hollywood, I assume, have access to the internet, Tom. <laughs> Uh oh. Right. Yeah, we actually have more downloads from America than Australia. <laughs> so where do you stand on all this, uh, Matt? Do you do you, do you think Amour is genius, or do you think it's uh, amateurish like I do? Okay, I might say my Amour opinions till the best picture discussion. Oh, dodging uh, a bullet. But, okay, go ahead. but I think Emmanuel Reba is good. In Amour, I don't think she gives a bad performance. I didn't love it. I didn't love her performance in Amour. There is a lot of her Thank just sitting doing that. nothing. You, you can never come back to Hollywood ever. <laughs> you know that now that you've said that. Uh, they won't let you in town. Yeah. I, I, I like the scene where the guy comes and she says she bought his CD. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry I didn't get you one. I should have sent you a free one. She's like, oh, no. That, well, we bought it, and he's like, I'll get you one next week or something. But she already has the CD. She doesn't <laughs> right. need the CD. Well, the whole movie is so stupid. It, yeah. it, it's pointless to analyze this film. It's just the single most overrated movie of the year, and that's saying something. Whoa. But it's, it's, it's hilarious to watch the film critics rushing around screaming, brilliant, brilliant, and then the other one goes, oh, no, I think it's more brilliant than you think it's brilliant. Oh, no, 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 I think it's more brilliant than you think it's brilliant. Oh, here comes the black bird again. Oh, more mm. symbolism. Now, Jessica Chastain has actually not really won much in Since the Globes, but from Zero Dark Thirty, from watching that movie, she looks like the kind of guy who usually gets her man. Will the man? Will she get Oscar? I guess is the question. I don't think so. I think Jennifer Lawrence just is the it person. I wouldn't mind if Chastain won. And I wouldn't mind if Evangeline Wallace won. I think those are my favourites, but I'm going to pick Jennifer Lawrence. Mm. I think Wallace is really good in the Southern Wild, but I don't know. I, part of me feels like someone that's eight years old, how much is that her performance and how much is that the director <laughs> like getting that performance out of her? I don't know. Which is why I'm really happy to see uh, the director piece uh, get in the, in the director race. But... Uh, I think Lawrence is my favourite performance. I think uh, usually, what, what is it, Tom? The babe factor, the, the, the hottest 
actress usually wins if she's if she's got the most wanted bang yeah usually yeah. wins right if they're in a if they're in like a front runner type position right like you know right, right, yeah right. they're just in the fifth slot maybe not but um, if Evangeline Wallace wins I feel like it's one that's just insulted the Academy Ooh. any controversial yeah <laughs> Sick, yeah. yeah well, that yeah, makes the academy sick, Tom, not me. Yeah. I know. Well, I want to know how many academy members are sitting at home lusting after uh, Emmanuel Riva, for Christ's sake. Yeah. Oh, she's so hot. 85. Oh, what a babe. What a babe. Yeah. But no, to, to Matt's point, though, is this is really the shameful, dirty, dark secret of these old geezers in the academy, which is they really treat the lead actress race and often the supporting actress race as a beauty pageant. Mm. Now, look over the past 20 years, take out Helen Mirren and uh, Meryl Streep for the most part, and then it, the rest of it's pretty much just the babe. You know, it's Natalie yeah. Portman and Charlize Theron and Halle Berry and Julia Roberts and on and on and on, and it's, it's, it's quite obvious what's going on there. Mm. So this year, they have two babes. They have Jessica Chastain and they have Jennifer Lawrence, so the theory goes, will they split the bay boat and uh, Emmanuel Reba get in? But, uh, no, I, I think Jonathan's right. It, it is uh, Jennifer Lawrence's moment. She's a past nominee for Winter's Bone. She's uh, had this great Hunger's Game thing. It's All the stars are lined up, and mm-hmm. she's this real babe. And I think what, uh, you know, the straight old geezers in the Academy, what they really love about Silver Linings Playbook is the fact that she is this lusty, sweaty, Hot babe chasing Bradley Cooper down the street going, screw me, screw me, bang me, bang me. And, and that is just fulfills every erotic fantasy that they've ever had. So how do those guys vote against that? Mm. They can't. There weren't no sex scenes in that film. To, like, she, was a lot, she was a lot of talk, wasn't she? She was a lot of yeah, talk without right, much. Right. She, she says she's you know, slept, uh, slept with everybody at the office, yeah. but we don't see it. Yeah. A, a bit of a tease, but no Anne Hathaway or Helen Hunt. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm really excited to see a, a, if she were to win. I'd be really excited with the prospect of a a lead Oscar going to someone from a comedy. Yeah. No, and I think Chastain could still win, by the way. I think that mm-hmm. she is also uh, considered so cool. She's the hip answer to give. She was the hip answer to give about five, six weeks ago is to who are you going to vote for 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 lead actress, hmm. but her her uh, odds have probably dropped since the attacks on that yeah. movie. How cool! But, uh, but I think she can win. So yeah, I think and Reeves in with a shot too. She just won the BAFTA, and as you say, yeah. Tom, apparently everyone in Hollywood just loves her. <laughs> they um, do. It's, uh, there's this whole Reva bandwagon going on. Now, if I said in Hollywood at the moment, Tom. Jennifer Lawrence is awful. She's horrible in Silver Linings Playbook. Would my life be in jeopardy at all? No, I think it's uh, widely acknowledged that she's not as great as her reputation, so a lot of people would agree with that. If you said that about uh, Jessica Chastain, yes, you would, they would kill you, and yeah. they would never permit you in town again. But Lawrence is... That, but Lawrence is... is going to win. She's so trashy, yeah. But Lawrence she's is going to win even though... There are death threats if you say anything bad about Chastain or Eva. But, Lawrence, you can just say whatever you want about it. They don't care. Okay. Now, okay, let's talk about Best Picture. There are nine nominees. I know somehow Moonrise Kingdom got uh, left out of this this list, (laughs) even though there's clearly an open slot. But let's, let's talk about a few of these films. You've got Argo, Lincoln, Silver Linings Playbook, Life of Pi, Amour, Beast of the Southern Wild, Django, Les Miserables, Zero Dark Thirty. 
Now, we've done a podcast on a few of these films already. Now, Tom, you came up in our Django podcast. It seems like all the interviews Samuel L. Jackson's doing about this movie, he tries to get the person interviewing them to say the N-word. Um, and you got into this situation, Tom, when you were being, when you were interviewing Samuel L. Jackson, right? Where yep. he, he asked, he said, what word are you talking about, Tom? How close were you to saying the N-word in that interview? <laughs> oh, good question. He got me pretty close to saying it. Yeah, I mean, just because yeah. he was wearing me down, right? Yeah. Uh, and, you, and you could, and I would just, have, of course, be bleeped it later. But, yeah. Um, yeah, he was really full of beans in that interview, wouldn't he? He wouldn't sit up. The camera was, was pointed the wrong way. His head was way down on the bottom of the screen. He wouldn't move it. <laughs> yes. I just gave up trying yeah. to give him direction. Yeah. He was looking for a fight. Yeah. Do, uh, do you think this? he might have been like Lucy with the football and you were Charlie Brown, that when you take the, <laughs> when you take the swing and say the N-word, he would have been, whoa, whoa, man. Like, you can't say that. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Yeah. So it's a bit of a risk. Um, <laughs> so uh, were you a fan of Django, Tom? Me and Jonathan. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. And I'm not a big uh, Quentin fan in general. Uh, another thing that could get you shot in Hollywood is saying that you don't like Pulp Fiction, and I hate Pulp Fiction. <laughs> and I, I kind of liked Inglorious Bastards, but I really liked Django a lot. I thought it was a wonderful entertainment, mm. and it was um, just a lot of fun. I think, and I'm surprised really people are not outraged by the N-word so much uh, here in Hollywood because they... They accept what's going on there. They're more outraged by all the ridiculous violence in the movie, which uh, I think is really hilarious mm. because what Quentin is doing is when bullets keep going into a dead body for the 900th time, the 10th, and they just keep shooting up these scenes, yeah. it, it is kind of so ridiculous. Mm. It's, it's funny, but that's, believe it or not, the Academy members were more squeamish and upset about that than they were about the N-word. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. Because I did see um, James Spader say the N-word in Lincoln. And I thought, oh, no one's dragging ja- Steven Spielberg over the, over the coals. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, yeah, no, we re- I, I'm not a huge fan of uh, Tarantino either, but I, and I, I did, I thought even Inglourious Bastards was a bit overrated, but I really enjoyed Django. I thought that was really good. Christoph Waltz, I thought he's even better than he was in Bastards. I, I agree, yeah. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was really good. So, um, uh, was it, though, better than Tarantino's CSI episode, Tom, that he directed? <laughs> That's the gold standard I have for Tarantino. Really? I didn't see that on the phone. Oh, it's a, it's a good... He got an Emmy nomination for it. The, okay, there's two films that crashed into the director category. No one's expecting to get in there. Amour and Beasts of the Southern Wild. We haven't talked about either of these two films before on the podcast. Uh, Jonathan, which one do you want to tackle first? Let's go with a more. A more? Okay, yes. Tom's given a lot of opinions already. What did you think of a more, Jonathan? These days, it seems that people use the word, or misuse the word, literally, so often that when someone says literally, people now interpret that as being not literal. Yeah. I want you to know that I'm being entirely literal when I say a more is literally the most boring thing I've ever seen. Thank you, thank you. For brutal honesty. It's just two hours of someone dying, and the pacing is absurd. There'll be, he's chopping flowers, all right? He needs to snip maybe three flowers for us to understand that. He snips like 20, it goes for like three minutes. I'm like, yeah. Two scenes. 
They yeah. come back and he's doing it again. Yeah. As Tom said, no, the mush, no. the, the mush into the face. It's like, yeah, we get it. She doesn't, she doesn't want to eat it. It goes for five minutes. Like five minutes in a film is forever. Yeah. It, I think it's just absurd that anyone could be a fan of this film. Yeah. Now, I, um, with a more, it opens and they police come in and find the dead body. And I'm thinking, oh, I've, I've seen a lot of TV shows. This is good. There's going to be a murder mystery. <laughs> they find a dead body. We're going to go back. We're going to find out how she died. Two minutes later, I'm like, oh, I know how she's going to die. Um, <laughs> so I, I pretty much viewed this film as you are a fly on the wall inside the two most boring people in the world's house. <laughs> You're like, just watching. And, and I was waiting for a zany character to come in at some point and sort of throw a spanner in the works. But the people who visit them are equally boring. There's scenes of, like, just the cleaner vacuuming for two minutes. And that's, like, all she does, though. I thought that the... Like, I thought... We start to see a bit of character when the guy comes back from the funeral and he starts giving a really bitchy review of the funeral. Uh, I thought, here's a bit of character. Like, here's a bit of, like, you know, bit of edge. I agree that Amor could have used more funerals, as in the main two characters died at the start, and then the <laughs> film just the ended. Just ended there, yeah. Um, yeah. Really, Jonathan, did you just want to stand up after ten minutes and just scream, die, bitch, or get out of the way, old man, I'll do it for you. Yeah, <laughs> when... pillow and just... Yeah. When they're talking about what's going on, like when she first has the mini stroke, it's just like, good lord, man, just say what happened. Yeah. Why are you talk going around in circles for five minutes? Just tell her that she just blanked out. Yeah. I even got my, my family was sort of around the house for a bit uh, while I was watching this, and I'm like, hey, hey, come over here, guys. Watch this really boring thing. You won't <laughs> believe how boring this thing is that I'm having to watch for the Oscars. <laughs> And they, like, came around and were riveted for, like, ten minutes. Or, like, they, let's say, about, like, half an hour just so amazed at how boring the movie was. <laughs> like, that's how boring it was. So what are we missing? What is it? And how could the three of us sense what bullshit this movie is and the rest of Hollywood and all of the film critics of, of the international scene go, because this man's won the Palm d'Or at the Cannes Film Festival three times, yeah. Anarchy. I, I, and they're all yeah. just going, oh, but it's such genius. What are they seeing that we're not seeing? Yeah, I went on uh, Metacritic, and it's on 94. <laughs> so it's pretty much consensus wow. uh, consensus praise for Amor. I sort of understand how it's going against the grain of things like, maybe people say Lincoln's Oscar baby. Like, this isn't Oscar baby. Like, people might say bits of silver linings are cheesy. This isn't really cheesy, though. You could say it is. It is doing a lot of things that are different. Yeah. They're just shit. Yeah. (laughs) It's the execution, I suppose. Well, I think the message of the movie, right, is this is what love is. It's not what you see in a Silver Linings playbook. It's not what Hollywood wants you to think love is. (sighs) This is real love, putting on someone's socks and the feeding them. It's not what Hollywood would have you believe, which I think would have worked quite well as like a short film maybe, like a five-minute, ten-minute film. Like maybe you could have conveyed that quite well there. I don't think that's how you define like that's love within a very specific and boring context. Yeah. I'd agree. <laughs> Beasts of the Southern Wild. It's a movie. What do you think of that one, Jonathan? Well, I didn't really like the trailer for it. I wasn't super excited to watch it. 
then as it started, I thought, this is a bit interesting. I'm not really sure what the story is. It's kind of paced like a music video. There's some interesting shots, people dancing, you get to see an area. Oh, Jonathan, turn your fan off, please. <laughs> <laughs> That's the beast of the Southern Wild alert opinion. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it had that sort of music video feel. Hmm. And then it kind of went on for a while, and I was like, oh, I don't really know what the story is here. But about halfway, I think I just kind of, it clicked for me. Hmm. I just thought, here's actually just a really interesting setting with this really amazing girl. And you just connected with it. I'm not sure what it was. Just the the images of the beast, the relationship between her and her father, just the weird place they lived in, the bathtub. Yeah. I can't really explain it. But about halfway, I just really went with the film and actually got a bit emotional towards the end. Mm. So this is one of my favourite nominees for sure. I I completely agree. I thought this was... um... Uh, maybe not my favourite film of the year, but it was just it took you into this world so well and you really got to uh, love this little, uh, what is her name? Hush Puppy. And her journey and her adventure and this world she was protecting. Like, I, I, thought it was, I thought it was great. Tom? Yes, and by the way, Jonathan, that was an excellent review you just gave of the film because I had the same experience, and I'm sure a lot of people did, which was, I didn't like the trailer either, and I'm watching this movie very skeptical, going, what is the point of it? It's just <laughs> like you halfway through it clicked, and I, I went for the ride, and then when it, when it ended, I was just flying with this movie, and it was thrilling. And it, it's one of my two favorite movies of the year. Uh, Life of Pi is my other favorite movie of the year. And I just love these, these movies that were just so dangerous with their ideas and, and, and everything else. And Beast of the Southern Wild, the fact that it's getting the celebrated attention it is, it's so so deserved. I'm really happy. To, you know, I hope it wins something on Oscar night. But the fact that it's come this far is, is remarkable and just terrific. Yes, de- de- definitely. Um, let's give these two movies a quick score out of 10, a screen verdict. I'm going to give them more a 1 out of 10 and Beast <laughs> of the Southern Wild a 8 out of 10. <laughs> I'm tempted to give a more a zero. I'll give it a yeah. half for the slap. <laughs> I like the slap. I didn't expect the slap. The slap was good. So it gets half a mark for that. <laughs> Beast of the Southern Wild, I'm going to give it a nine out of ten. Whoa. One of my highest scores oh, of the year, okay. if not my equal highest. Do you have some scores, Tom? Yes. more gets uh, a rich, fat goose egg zero like yeah. it deserves. And those... Beast of the Southern Wild gets a perfect 10 as far as I'm Whoa, Whoa okay. So it's we could do the range got, yeah. <laughs> the two surprise director nominees are Amour and Beast of the Southern Wild. Okay, now you just saw Les Mis, Jonathan. You saw it yesterday, I believe. What were your opinions on Les Mis? Uh, can I just interject here yes. and predict that Jonathan didn't just dislike it, but you loathed it? Admit it, Jonathan. <laughs> Well, I wasn't looking forward to Les Mis. (laughs) I did leave it to the end for a reason. My only experience with this was my parents went to see it when I think I was about 10, and they loved it, and they bought the CD, and they came home, and they played that all the time. Hmm. And as a 10-year-old, I just hated that. So my my perception of Les Mis is just being tormented by it as a child. So Hmm. it could be a little biased from the start. When I actually watched Lame Is, I was surprised at how much CGI there was. I thought mm. I didn't realise I was watching The Hobbit. 
Yeah. You got these big ships, him's up on a castle and this is like, are we yeah. in Middle Earth? What is yeah. what mm. is going on here? Mm. In terms of the songs, I'm not an anti-musical guy. I've been to see a few mu- musicals. I, I really like the Lion King. Lion King musical was awesome. Mm. So I'm not that anti-musical. But I just didn't like any of the songs. I think Anne Hathaway's was the best. Other than that... I don't understand why they need to sing everything. Like, you can have a play where you act, and then you go into a song, and I sort of get that. But why do you need to sung, sing mundane things? It's like, I'm giving you a piece of paper. Yeah. And I'm taking the paper from you. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, thank you for the paper. It's like, why do you need to sing these mundane conversational things? Because it's an opera. It's in the opera tradition. <sighs> and, uh, and the average moviegoers aren't used to seeing that, and they're... They, they have the same reaction you do, which is, what is going on here? But it's a motif, and, and it ex- this movie exists within that motif. And um, the, the music, you know, that your parents were spellbound by, listen to it over and over again. I was, too. I saw this, by the way, in its very, very first production at the Barbican in London in 1984-85, when the word was spreading that it's coming to Broadway, and it's so great. And it was a powerhouse of experience. I was in the middle row, like five rows back, and I was just, it was theatrical brilliance. Now, this movie doesn't measure up to that by any means, but I still think it's a great film, and it, it, it succeeds. And the one that, what ticks me off is the, lo- the, the measure of hatred for this movie. People are just crucifying it, I mean, pummeling it. And you have to wonder, you know, what is behind that? And my only explanation is it's the playground bullies that emerge from the bushes to beat up the Glee Club. That's, that's uh, the way I'm looking at it. The Glee's so cool. Well, I understand Glee Club's the coolest thing in high school. <laughs> <That's what laughs> well, the, some high schools, right? Yeah. But, um, I, I, yeah, with Les Mis, uh, firstly, my experience with Les Mis, uh, my sister was in a high school production of Les Mis at my old uh, high school, so I'd gone and seen that, which I guess, uh, but I couldn't really remember the plot from it. So I was pretty uh, interested to see. Um, you were also pleased, Tom, that I was um, up at the church youth group leading on the weekend, and... Uh, some of the young young youth there had brought the lyrics to some of the Les Mis songs and were having a Les Mis sing-along All right. that I joined in on. Um, <laughs> so uh, the, kids are, the kids are loving the Les Mis. The if I was the there, world. I would have beat you up. <laughs> <laughs> I only knew the lines of the chorus, though, so I just came in for the, do you hear the people sing, singing the songs of Angry Men? But... Uh, this film's about an hour too long. Um, I liked the Russell Crowe-Hugh Jackman rivalry. I like a good rivalry in movies. I liked the rebellion or the whatever it is against the government. I thought that was interesting. Uh, I did not care for... Uh, I liked the innkeepers. They were fun. I did not care for the love triangle at all in this right, movie. That was pretty, yeah. I did not like this. I don't mind the concept of love at first sight. But this is a bit too literally just he saw her walking and just was in love with her straight away. Like, usually with a love in first sight moment, you've got that moment of, like, you say something to her. Or there's a little joke or a little something happens other than you just see them and they leave. I want to know what that joke is. If you can make one joke... Yeah, the person falls in well, love with you at first sight. I want to, I want to, well, know what that joke is. Well, in the office with Michael and Holly, it she makes fun of Toby, <laughs> and he's just in love with her instantly. <laughs> so you know, 
Yeah, but the whole what you're forgetting though, you can't blame the plot, Matt. The, this is a you know a 19th century melodrama that fits certain conventions, like uh, you know, spoiler alert, you know, Russell Crowe is so haunted by his you know by his remorse, he has to kill himself. You know, the the love at first sight motif, which is of course absurd and it has no context, but but that and the movie is full of those and it's faithful to them and it's faithful to the opera tradition, which also seems anachronistic and, and weird today but and i don't think it's fair for us to judge this movie by those standards because it's trying to it's deliberately trying to follow those standards to give us an authentic uh, kind of operatic experience from that period of time so yes yeah, everything you're saying is valid but the point was they were doing it on, they were going against all that on purpose uh, when you give it out of 10 Matt? what would i give it out of 10 i would give like miss maybe a Six and a half out of ten. Like I, I, I enjoy. I thought it was a good film. I just thought it was too long, and I didn't like one of the storylines. I thought this film was so silly. I hated the innkeepers. I thought the singing, the conversations was annoying. I thought some of the plot stuff, like them just figuring out Russell Crowe was a traitor instantly, was just silly. Even the battle scenes kind of sucked. I liked one song, and some of the performances were okay. I'm going to give it a one and a half out of ten. Okay. <laughs> Whoa! Your, pre- your prediction well, was spot on, nine. Tom. I'm giving it a, a nine. nine. Okay, <laughs> there we go. There we go, lame Miz. Some of the other contenders are sort of in the middle-ish um, of the of the rate. We've got Zero Dark Thirty. What 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 did you think, Tom? This this seemed like it was a really cool film for about a week, and now it's like you know, yeah, a I, pariah. Don't, I don't get it at all. Again, again, this there's the there's the group think that you have to say the movie's genius and brilliant and all of that. I'm sorry. How do you possibly make a movie about the single most exciting event in modern military history and have it be so boring? <laughs> boring? God, I was sitting through this movie going, well, something happened. And even when they killed Bin Laden, there is nothing to it. So I just don't get it. Everyone's running around going, genius, genius, genius. That these characters are all one dimensional. She has no backstory, she has no personality. She has uh, you know, a one-note character. There's not one line of remarkable dialogue in this entire movie. Uh, its idea of humor is where she says, you know, mofo at one point, and the audience just bursts out laughing, oh, it's a witty, it's a witty. <laughs> I was horrified at how bad this movie was. Now, I realize it's got like a 95 Metacritic score, and again, you're not allowed to say anything against this movie, but since we're speaking frankly here, yeah. I think the potential of this movie was so exciting and great and it was such a letdown that uh, I was enormously disappointed as I walked out of that theater. And, 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 no, and nobody was, by the way, what that was all about was not a real controversy over whether or not torture actually existed or not. Look, the White House admitted that waterboarding took place and, quote-unquote, enhanced interrogation. They're just mad at her for showing it to us. Mm-hmm. The audience is just pissed off that they're seeing their government do this in their name. You know, Americans are so arrogant. We have this overblown notion of ourselves as this heroic country that would never do such a thing. But we know better. And she had the gall. It's the one decent thing she did in the movie, that she had the gall to show us that. But look at that scene. You know, she the scene is, is not anything remarkable. There, it's, it's just torture for torture's sake. It doesn't give a twist. You know, Mark Twain once said, art is a, a new perspective on ordinary things. Well, there's no, that's just ordinary torture. And so, again, it's just so bad. It's, oh, God. Mm. Me and Jonathan weren't huge fans of Zero Dark Thirty. Is that fair to say, Jonathan? 
I feel like we liked it more than Tom, but we sort of agree with the sentiment that it was disappointing. Like, there was such good potential there. Yeah. So, yeah, Zero Dark Thirty, well, fortunately, it, it, it ain't winning Best Picture. And it definitely ain't winning Best Director. It didn't get nominated. <laughs> so, now, Life, Life of Pi, Tom, is a movie that is nominated. And I think fair to say your favourite movie of the year. Yes, that and Beast Southern Wild, as okay. I said earlier. I just think Pi was so exciting as a film. It takes an unfilmable book. It, it films it, and it, it takes in the latest in technology with 3D and all of these things. And it has it dares to have this, this ending that screws with your head. And about half of the people who see this movie are really ticked off at the ending and go, that is such bullshit, I hate And the other half, like me, go, that is genius. Now, I understand people are upset with the ending, and I even think it's a valid criticism if you don't buy into it, and therefore you're, it's okay for you to dismiss the movie. But, but if you accept the mind screw that he does, uh, I think it's a wonderful place to go. I, I was just thrilled with this movie. I thought this is what movie makers are all about. This thing's made six hundred and some million dollars worldwide. Thank you, good for him. Well, me and Jonathan were two people that were pretty angry at the ending of the film. Is that fair to say? What I okay. think, what I think happened here is the Academy confused last year's masterpiece Tree of Life with this year's piece of garbage Life of Pi. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> I hated the Ouch. ending. I actually was sort of liking it halfway through, and I thought this was the best 3D I'd seen in a film. But you're right, Tom. I was one of those people that hated the ending. Yeah. Okay, uh, I, I get it, and I think that's valid. I do. do we, we, what what story do you buy? Well, spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah, I, I believe that. Uh, of course, it, the the reality is is that he's made this whole tiger thing up in his head. Yeah. It really was his mother and the cook and the other ones on the boat. And um, this, this is what uh, you do to survive. Did you believe the tiger thing that he was... No. No, we did not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, three films to go. Silver Lines Playbook, they've got four acting nominate, all four acting categories, director, writing, and picture. Lincoln, which was the front runner for a bit, uh, quite a chunk of the race, and Argo. These three films are probably at the top of the top of the lineup. What are what are we uh, thinking about these ones? Well, I quite liked Silver Linings and was a little bit disappointed by Argo. You liked Argo more than me. Mm. Lincoln, I really didn't want to see Lincoln. I thought ah Spielberg doing two and a half hours of Oscar bait. Didn't they do this last year? They just recast Daniel Day Lewis as the horse. Yeah, I don't have to go through that. <laughs> But I liked Lincoln more than I thought I would because of Daniel Day-Lewis. Someone who I didn't think I was that big a fan of, but I think his Lincoln really carried the film. And even though he's a bit one-dimensional because he's just such a good guy, they, they didn't really go through, oh, was Lincoln actually that good? They, no, they just made Lincoln practically Jesus. He was just the best guy ever. Hmm. But I liked him because he was charismatic and he was entertaining and you wanted him to win. So of those three, I'd actually be rooting for Lincoln. Okay. Um, well, we haven't given our opinions on Lincoln yet. I thought Lincoln had some bits that worked really well. I thought trying to get the votes, going through the votes, all sort of stuff like that was really good. 
And I thought the family stuff I was bored by. I thought the last sort of 10, 20 minutes of the film wasn't really that necessary. Anything after the Bill passage, really. I'd give it maybe a... What did you think of Lincoln, Tom? Uh, I would give it a five. I liked, actually liked the movie. I thought it worked dramatically. Except that kind of corny beginning with the soldiers are reciting the, the Gettysburg Address. I thought it was way over the top. What ticks me off about the film, though, is that you know, I, I spend a lot of time reading up on the Lincoln legend, and I think he's easily the most fascinating character in, in American, if not world history. But he's fascinating because there's this whole other Lincoln that we never talk about. And I was hoping they were going to go there in this movie. Uh, I mean, to Jonathan's point, they make him practically Jesus. I don't think anybody in America knows that, that uh, the 13th Amendment that Lincoln had pushed through Congress, the first, was not this 13th Amendment, was not, was not the uh, amendment to uh, get rid of slavery, it was an amendment to forever enshrine slavery in the Constitution so that it could never be removed. Lincoln was so desperate to keep the Union together, primarily for financial reasons, that uh, when he took the oath of office uh, the first time, he was he had just rammed through this horrible, one of probably the single worst thing any man has ever done in the United States, which was to champion an amendment to the Constitution that would forever lock these people in chains and without any hope of ever getting freed. Lincoln did that. <laughs> and then the Civil War broke out, and then they kind of just forgot. It, the, the amendment never actually got ratified. And then, much to his credit, later in life, he actually flipped, and he, and he saw an opportunity to get rid of slavery forever, and he was anti-slavery. And, and he went for it, and then we have the second 13th Amendment, the one we all know to gate. Today, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking, why don't they, doesn't anybody tell us the, the full story of that other 13th Amendment, who this man really was, the journey he took from this kind of white supremacist, which is basically what he was, to this uh, hero, is a wonderful story, but nobody has the guts to tell that story. So I was sitting there, because I read Lincoln stuff all the time, and I'm, and I'm watching this movie getting angrier and angrier, thinking, you know, this is more Hollywood lies up there, Jesus Christ. But anyway, that there's my rant on that movie. But I liked the movie. It was okay, except for Sally Field. I just want to say, shut up, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> at, at, at the risk of getting a bit political, Tom, though, is it similar to, like, was Lincoln similar to Obama, who, like, would say in the campaign, like, the first time around, oh, I'm, I'm against gay marriage, <laughs> and then he just sort of, like, this election campaign was sort of like, oh, no, I've actually changed my mind on that. And everyone was like, oh, yeah, we sort of knew you were pro-gay marriage anyway. No one really seemed to mind him changing his mind that much. Like, right, right. is that sort of what happened with Lincoln, maybe? Well, I think it was a little more severe than that. Yeah. Gay marriage, I mean, it's, it's not quite in the league of uh, in, enslaving four million people without any hope of redemption. Fair but, enough. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the dark side of Lincoln is a, would yes. make a wonderful movie someday. I think the dark side of anyone is a more interesting story, to be honest. Like... That that's where you get really interesting, and everyone loves. Unless it. you had a movie about Hitler going to like soup kitchens or something, <laughs> <laughs> just being like a really good guy, yeah, just looking after like a disabled puppy, yeah. <laughs> okay, so Lincoln, um, have we given that a score out of ten yet? I'll give Lincoln an eight. I'll give it a seven. Five. Okay. <laughs> so there we go, Lincoln. So yeah, we've got silver linings. That's in the mix. Some ways it'd be nice to see a comedy win, but I'm not really feeling that's the best picture of the year. Yeah, we thought it was quite good. Don't really rate its chances. Tom, what did you feel about Silver Linings? I liked it. It was 
it was good. I think the the ending is kind of pat, kind of like Hallmark Hall of Fame movie-ish. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, uh, but still, it was good. I don't see greatness in that film, though. Mm. So I was surprised that it got all this buzz out of Toronto. and uh, uh, But I liked it. I think it's a good movie, yeah. Mm. But really, the talk of the town is Argo. Argo, Argo, Argo. <laughs> that looks like it's going to win. Best picture, without a directing nomination, first time since Driving Miss Daisy. What happened here, Tom? How did Argo pull off this coup? I think it was always the front runner, and we just were stupid enough not to see it. You know, if you look back at the... Uh... Uh, predictions at Gold Derby, uh, six times the lead of the experts' predictions changed between four films. <laughs> it started off, the Derby did in, in September with uh, Superbliding's Playbook, and then it went to Argo as soon as that came out. In, or Actually, there was a brief little spurt for Les Mis, and it went to Argo. Argo stayed out front for a month from middle of October to the middle of November. So the fact that it surged back later after he was... Uh, snub for director is interesting but tells us that look we did at one point the consensus of all these experts did believe it was out front I, you know I, I i agree to some extent with what jonathan was saying that it does it's not really as great as its reputation that's certainly true but so it's a wonderful entertainment it's a well-crafted movie it it, it, it works on all levels and so in that case i think it's good but does it deserve to be in the pantheon of the greatest movies ever made i yeah that's dubious. Are the Oscar Best Picture list, Tom, is that the pantheon of the greatest movies ever made? <laughs> That's what Hollywood believes. Okay. Yes, I know. <laughs> I, uh, to, to be fair, I wouldn't turn down being put on that list if I made one of those. <laughs> I'd be pretty happy to be on that list. So, yeah, what, what do you think, Jonathan? I'm a little bit surprised that it's got this much momentum. It's not just it was behind, now it's in front. It's everyone's predicting Argo. Oh, it's a little hard to get my head around because I don't think the film's that great. Hollywood's rallied around Ben. Do people even like Ben Affleck that much? Yeah, I understand this. Oh, he got snubbed. He's popular in the town. Everyone's rallying around him. But is he that popular? Is the film that good to get this much momentum? It is a little baffling. Like, I don't think this film's anywhere near as good as the town. Yeah, can you imagine, Tom, the day the Oscar nominations came out and Ben Affleck got snubbed, could you have imagined on that day not only that Argo would win Best Picture, but that a week or two out it's just the foregone conclusion that Argo's (laughs) going to win Best Picture? I know, I know. Certainly when the nominations came out, all the momentum swung to Lincoln. Yes. It certainly looked like that was happening. But I switched my vote to Argo before the Golden Globes because I just felt it was happening. Mm. And, uh, yes, the snub ended up helping him because there's something different about the Oscars today than in years past. And it's uh, the digital instant media, it's the blogosphere, it's social media, and everyone's rallying to his wounded side as soon as poor Ben is snubbed. And that wouldn't have happened ten years ago. They would have said, oh, he's snubbed, the movie can't win, write it off. And uh, that that would have been that. But now the, the collective voice uh, does play a factor, and I think it's played a big role here. Yeah, um, I guess you can speak to this probably better than I can, Tom. Do we also put this down to just incredibly amazing Oscar campaigning? 
that they no, were able no, no, because there was nothing done on this campaign that was remarkable. Really? I have spent so much time trying to find some brilliant thing they did, something sneaky, <laughs> uh, you know, and there just isn't anything. The movie actually uh, did it on its own. And look, it is the best-reviewed movie of these nine. When you go to Metacritic and you go to Rotten Tomatoes, it has the highest score of all nine films. Well, so arguably, it deserves to win. So we got to get over this. I uh, feel like this God, is no isn't there's no way it's higher than Zero Dark Thirty and a more ninety four? On Metacritic, on Metacritic, Zero Dark at uh, ninety four. Uh, checking the Metacritic. <laughs> Wait, I, I I think I checked it on. Me- I don't know if it's that high on Metacritic. It's definitely got the highest Rotten Tomatoes score. Right, right. Igo is 86 on Metacritic. That's still pretty high. That's actually higher than I remembered. <laughs> so, yeah. It's it's in the league. I love this thing in the Oscar race, when the positive become... When it, when a perceived negative actually becomes a positive. Like, uh, the Hurt Locker's low box office actually turned into be an asset for that film because it made it look more like a David against the Goliath of Avatar. And I think, right. like... yeah. So, I, I, it's really interesting that the campaign didn't do much to turn the tide and it was really maybe like the actual other awards groups were able to do the campaigning for Argo by proxy. So we've got Argo. Do you think, Tom, also a factor is uh, just Jimmy Carter is so popular in America, the <laughs> Jimmy Carter uh, bump. That's it. That did it, yeah. Everyone loves the Jimmy. You know I got to meet Jimmy Carter once, Tom? <laughs> sure, no. Yeah. Well, poor I- Jimmy has, uh, has mixed following these days. Yeah, very polarizing figure. Very polarizing. Yeah, actually, yeah. Yeah. I remember when the uh, the Bin Laden thing happened. Mitt Romney came out and go, oh, even Jimmy Carter would have, like, got Bin Laden. Or something like that. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> so we're all, are we all picking Argo, or is anyone going to buck, buck the trend? Yeah, it's, it's Argo, of course, yeah. Jonathan, what are you doing? <laughs> you're looking like you're considering... Going out on a limb here. I'd really like it if in the last week of the race, everyone came to their senses and realised that Argo was just alright. If I was voting, I would probably vote Beasts or Django. Even Lincoln, I'd definitely vote ahead of Argo. I'd really like to predict Lincoln, but I think that'd just be a bit of a silly thing to do. What are you going to do? If I actually had money on it, I'd bet on Argo. Okay. So basically, it all comes down to this. We are all agreed on all of the top races, except for Matt. Has to be different. Has to disagree for Best Supporting Actor. Going for Tommy Lee Jones. But otherwise, Jonathan and I have figured out the Oscar race. Go with our <laughs> predictions. And you'd vote, would you vote for Life of Pi or Beasts of the Southern Wild if you were, were voting, Tom? Which is the actual favorite? I would go for Pi, yeah. Then, okay. Then. And I, I vote for Argo. Argo is my favorite film of oh, all the nominated movies. No, I, I think Argo's great. I think Argo's the best. Um, Argo's Lucky Moonrise Kingdom I didn't get nominated, otherwise my vote would have gone that way. But uh, no, I, I think Argo's great. Now, there's one other uh, big award that we haven't uh, predicted yet, and I think this year they made a slight change, and it's actually Best Director Who Isn't Ben Affleck. <laughs> so who are we picking for the best director race? And nominated in that, we have Steven Spielberg for Lincoln, Ang Lee for Life of Pi, David O. Russell for Silver Linings Playbook, Ben Zeitland for Beasts of the Southern Wild, and uh, Michael Haneke for Amore. 
Yeah. Who are we picking there? I think it has to be Spielberg. As much as the Oscars don't seem to like Spielberg, Lincoln should be winning picture, and it's not. Silver Linings, what made that work was the performances. I don't think it was really the direction. Hmm. Life of Pi, I could maybe see that. I think it was more achievements on the technical side than the direction. I don't know. I think people will attribute that to Ang Lee, though. It's a bit hard to... He made it happen, man. Yeah. So I think I think Ang Lee has a chance. I know some people are passionate about it, but I don't think it's going to be enough to get Michael Haneke there. Hmm. And same with Ben Zeitlin. So I'm going to say this is, this is between Spielberg and Ang Lee. Yeah. I'm going to predict Spielberg... Mostly just because I want Spielberg to win. Hmm. Yeah, I think it, I think we're going to see a repeat of the Oscars of the year of Saving Private Ryan, Shakespeare in Love, where where poor Spielberg loses Best Picture but gets the consolation prize. And yes, I agree that it's Ang Lee to be the spoiler here if it does happen. Yeah, Matt, like, what do you say? Yeah, part of me really like it would be quite interesting to see Ang Lee win, um, but I do think Spielberg wins. I think I think. Like, here's the thing. I don't think there's, like, will against Lincoln. I don't think people are like, oh, we don't like... I don't think it's like Avatar when it got to a point where there's a bit of the the tall poppy syndrome of we've got to knock down this, like, oh, James Cameron thinks he's so good. Let's, like, you know, just give everything to to Bigelow or anything like that. I think people like Spielberg and he's respected in the industry. I don't think people are going to... People were actually getting anti-Cameron. People were actually... Yeah. Haha, it's even his ex-wife. That were really erupting yeah. in Cameron's face. Yeah. People were like, oh, it's, yeah. Like, I, I really think there isn't that lack of goodwill for... And even Fincher, I think, in the industry, like when, you know, he was front-runner for Social Network and they decided to give it to Tom Hooper as well. So... I'm going to stick with Spielberg, but Ang Lee would not shock me. I could see Ang Lee doing it, because it was a pretty big directorial achievement, Life of Pi, regardless of what you think about the ending. Okay. Yep. That wraps things up. i got to dash yep. you guys. No worries, fun. Tom. Thanks heaps. I think we figured out the Oscars. I think we got it nailed. We've cracked it. Um, so we'll see who wins the predictions. It'll either be you two or me, depending on supporting actor. Yeah, was, Tom and I agreed much more this year. You've you've come around yeah. less anti-Gosling, <laughs> anti-tree of life. Bow to your wisdom. That's all there is to it. <laughs> uh, well, th- thanks so much, Tom, for giving me the time. We know it's a very busy time for you with Oscar stuff. Yeah, well, thanks for the invite. This was fun. Okay, no worries. Right, thanks, bye. Tom. All right, bye-bye. Well, there you have it, guys. Tom O'Neill, chief of goldderby.com. The leading website for awards coverage. <laughs> we actually just entered a competition on Gold Derby, haven't we? Yes, we put up a video of our best picture race prediction. Yeah. You can go to Gold Derby yeah. and vote for it because it's in a competition. Yeah. On a scale of one to five gold nuggets. Yeah. Uh, we'd like, if you did rate, to give it a solid gold five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Feel free to let us know your Oscar predictions. We think we've sorted out, but you might have a better idea. So uh, post that on our Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash Podcast. And if you haven't liked us already, now's a good time to do that. What's on next week, Jonathan? What have we got coming up? Well, we did promise a 30 Rock podcast. That is still coming. We just thought we'd give the Oscars priority just because they're coming up. Mm. You 30 Rock fans... 
hold on to your abusive emails because that is coming yeah. soon. Yeah, I'm sure the people are really excited for a 30 Rock podcast and have been waiting all week for it <laughs> and made it, you know, an hour into the Oscars podcast, <laughs> waiting for our 30 Rock review. <laughs> to uh, wrap up the podcast, should maybe, I don't know, I do a rendition of uh, Anne Hathaway's I Dreamed a Dream. Would that be a good way to end the podcast? I think it would end the podcast in the fact that people would stop <laughs> listening to it. <laughs> An end of sorts. So to the listeners, I hope you enjoyed our Oscar discussion and prediction. I'll leave it up to you to decide your opinions on Matt's performance as he takes out the podcast. I dreamed a dream in time gone by. <laughs> When hope was high and life worth living. (laughs) Oh, can I start again? That was awful.